Well, please remain standing for our sermon scripture text, taken from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters close in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the foot of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. There's an article in a magazine called Trail Magazine uh, for hikers and, and mountain climbers, rock climbers, things like that. Uh, it was published almost 20 years ago. What it did is it gave instructions for how to descend a mountain in Great Britain called Ben Nevis. It's the highest uh, point in Britain. And the descent is very precarious, and it requires explicit instructions, especially if the weather's bad, which it often is there. There's only one problem. Uh, there was a very important part of the instructions that was left out. And uh, it is said that those who would follow the instructions would have walked off the edge into Gardilu Gully, which was a 1,000-foot drop, the longest in Britain. Sometimes we follow the wrong directions. The Lord had given Jonah explicit directions. For those of you who haven't been here, Mike has given me the privilege of preaching over three months, three different sermons, and they're all from Jonah. So in May, we looked at Jonah chapter 1, and we saw that God had called Jonah to go, to rise, go, and preach to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it because of its wickedness. And Jonah arose, and that was the extent of his obedience. And then he went in the complete opposite direction. Jonah followed not the directions of God. He followed the directions of his own desires. And as that often does, it led to trouble for Jonah, because God was determined 
that Jonah was going to do his will, that, that he was going to be the one who would go and preach to Nineveh because God cared about Jonah, but he also cared about the Ninevites. And he wanted them to have the opportunity to hear and to repent. This morning, as we look at primarily chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the, the result of Jonah's disobedience, the distress that it caused him, but then also the deliverance that the Lord provided for Jonah. So distress and deliverance are the two things that we're going to be looking at this morning. There are three points. First of all, we're going to look at the cause of distress for Jonah. Secondly, we're going to look at his, his cry of distress. And then finally, we're going to look at his celebration of deliverance. But before we do that, uh, would you bow with me as we go again to the Lord in prayer? Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you, Lord, for, for what you have already enabled us to be a part of in confessing our love for you, your greatness, your grace. Father, we pray now that as we hear from you through your word, that you would indeed give us ears to hear. We also pray, Father, that you would help each of us to be challenged, convicted maybe, encouraged. Lord, most of all, we pray that you would help us to be instructed and transformed. Lord, shaped into the people that you desire for us to be. So, Lord, we, we look to you through your word, by your spirit, would you speak? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, notice the cause of Jonah's distress. Actually, it's, it's pretty clear to see because Jonah had been called in chapter 1 to, to go to a specific place and do something specific, and he disobeyed. And, and so that was what was the cause of his distress, along with God's discipline of him. And we can see that Jonah really was in distress as he was thrown overboard. See, what happened, for the, again, for those maybe not up to date on Jonah, especially the first chapter, when Jonah boarded the, the ship heading to Tarshish, the opposite direction from Nineveh, God threw a storm against the ship, a, a great, uh, great wind. It was so stiff that they couldn't make any headway, and they, they were afraid they, they were going to sink. And so the, all of these pagan sailors began praying to their gods, and they even got Jonah, who was sleeping, to get up and said, pray to your God. And through some discussion, they found out that Jonah was the cause of the problem, that it was his disobedience, his running from God, and Yahweh, the Lord, had thrown this wind against the ship. And so they said, what do we do? And Jonah said, throw me overboard. That, that'll, that'll take care of it. And they didn't want to do that. But eventually, reluctantly, they, they did. And, and immediately, the wind died down. And so Jonah plunged into the waters. And we see here in chapter 2, these early verses, kind of what he experienced there. Out of the belly of Sheol I cry. Sheol is just the place of the dead. Jonah felt like he was dying. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped 
about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah thought he was done for. He was in distress. Have you ever felt like that? Specifically, have you ever been underwater and you, for some reason you couldn't break the surface? You couldn't get, and, to get up and, and get your, your breath? You ever been in that situation? I've been there a couple of times. And it's not fun. I mean, you panic. And, and all you want is to be able to get some, some air. Just this last week, I had a conversation with a co-worker who was talking about going to an amusement park. And she was on a water ride. And somehow at the end of the ride, the boat that she was in flipped. So she was underwater. And she panicked. And, and she just couldn't get up. It was only four feet of water. But she couldn't think to just stand up. So it took two lifeguards to pull her up out of the water. But, but I mean, she, she panicked. She thought she was, she was done. That's kind of what Jonah was experiencing. It was the Lord's discipline for Jonah to get his attention. At this point, Jonah would have done anything to live. And so once the Lord delivered him, he was ready, as we will see mostly next time, he was ready to go to Nineveh and preach. The Lord needed to work in Jonah to discipline him and get him to be willing to obey. Sometimes the Lord has to do that for us. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 writes this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. God sometimes finds it necessary to get our attention or, or get, change our direction through discipline. But not because he desires to punish us, but because he loves us. And, just as in Jonah's case, often because he loves others whom he wants to minister to through us. And God uses different things to discipline us. Sometimes it's enough just to use his word and his spirit. The word of God comes to us and, and we're convicted of sin and we repent. God's Holy Spirit convicts us through the word, and we repent, and, and we obey. But sometimes the Lord has to use circumstances like he did with Jonah. Sometimes the Lord will allow or even send trouble to us to get our attention, to help us to examine our hearts and our direction. Now, let me just say real quick that all trouble is not the result of God's discipline in our lives. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's just the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's, that's un, under a curse. And so trouble is a part of life. But it's a good thing to examine our hearts, our lives, when we go through difficulty and say, is there something I've done to cause this? Or something I didn't do that the Lord desires for me to do? I mentioned last week that Last week, last month, when I preached uh, on Jonah 1, 
I shared a little bit about my personal testimony, how the Lord led me away from my desire to, to be uh, a commissioned naval officer uh, to lead me into the ministry. And so I attended for, for a time the United States Naval Academy. And I was miserable. I was miserable. Now I'll just say that the first year at any of the services, service academies is designed for you to be pretty miserable. I mean, it just is. But I was especially miserable because I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. I was not walking in obedience to the Lord. And so sometimes God will do that. He'll just make us miserable. He won't give us peace. And we need to listen to whether or not that's His direction in our lives. Sometimes the Lord uses people in our lives. They may be difficult people. All right, uh, to help us to change direction. Or maybe it's faithful people whom the Lord brings in our lives, comes alongside us to say, brother or sister, you know, you might want to think about the direction you're headed in. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, Brothers or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. It has been said by a well-known pastor that mind your own business is not a Christian phrase. We are called to be involved in one another's lives, not as busybodies, but as those who care for one another, those who have covenanted with one another, for our good, for our growth, for our Christ-likeness. Sometimes the Lord will use others to direct us, to discipline us, if you will, with a, a word. Specifically, let me just say for those of you who are younger and either are or will be parents, God gives parents to children to cause them to stress when they disobey. Not to abuse them, but to discipline them for their good. It's not fun either for the one being disciplined or for the ones giving the discipline. As, as, a, as a father of four children, I can tell you I never enjoyed disciplining my children. I hated it, but it was necessary for them. Well, God doesn't necessarily enjoy disciplining his children, but it is necessary for our good. These are just some of the means that God uses, but he is faithful in his love for us. He will sometimes cause us distress, to turn us from our disobedience. Pastor Lee Eklov, who's now retired, but um, was a longtime pastor now, writes for uh, Christianity Today, wrote, shared this. In an old Christian song titled Hornets, the verses recount the stories of Jonah, Moses, and Balaam, and how God got them to say or do what he wanted them to, even though they were unwilling at first. The song gets its title from a verse that explains how hornets can make a person leave a room, not against their will, but willingly. The chorus goes like this. He does not compel us to go, no, no. He does not compel us to go. 
He does not compel us to go against our will, but he just makes us willing to go. The Lord made Jonah willing to go through distress. Well, we see not only the cause of distress, we also see here the cry of distress. In verse 2, we read this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Distress is a good thing when it causes us to cry out to God. When it causes us to look to the Lord, to, to say, Lord, help, if you will. Lord, Lord show me if, I, if I'm doing something wrong. If not, Lord, help me in any case. One of the things that we need to see here is that God hears and he answers the cry of distress, even when the distress is of our own doing, even when it's God's discipline in our lives, even when it's the, the re, the, because of our disobedience. God still delights to hear our prayers, to hear, uh, hear us cry out, Lord, forgive, Lord, change, Lord, cleanse lord help when we are in distress especially when it's our own doing in many respects when we know whether we're running from god or just failing to be obedient to him satan will say you can't pray to god look at what you've done you think god wants to hear your prayer you think he he wants your contrition, you're presuming on God's grace. Sometimes we do. But don't listen to Satan. What God desires and what God delights in, no matter the cause of our distress, is for us to come to him, for us to pray to him, for us to, to say, Lord, help if necessary, Lord, I repent. Lord, forgive me. Listen to this from Psalm 107, verses 10 through 15. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and had spurned the counsel of the Most High. What was the cause of the distress? Their disobedience. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he said, forget it. No. He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Of course, this does not mean that we should not be concerned about our disobedience. It does not mean that we should minimize our sin ever. We always need to seek to live in obedience to the Lord. But when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you experiencing any distress? If you're not now, you probably have, and you probably will be again. Either because we live in a fallen world, or because of disobedience, or maybe a little of both. But what do we do? What should you do when you go through distress? Whatever the cause, cry out to God. Take it to the Lord. And if it's the result of sin, then turn from it. Repent. Ask for the Lord's forgiveness. He wants to hear from you. Well, last we look at the celebration of deliverance. In verses 7 through 9, we read this. Actually, let me start in verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, who's going to help them? The idols are worthless. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish is his recounting of his distress and God's deliverance and his praise to God for it. It was while he was in the belly of the fish that Jonah realized that that he understood that God had been merciful in delivering him from sure death in the sea. I want you to notice a few interesting things about God's deliverance of Jonah. And and the fish, the fish was not the discipline. The fish was the deliverance, okay? First of all, Jonah was delivered from impossible circumstances, from a situation that he was sure was going to end in his death. I mean, he he said as much um, in verse... Six again, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah thought he was done for. He, but the Lord delivered him from what was seemingly an impossible situation. Often circumstances in our lives develop to the point where we cannot see any way out. But we have a God who can do the impossible. We have a God who I believe, delights to do the impossible if we will trust in him. Luke 1.37, spoken during the uh, annunciation of the conception of the virgin conception of Christ in Mary's womb. Nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, if God can cause a virgin to conceive and bear a son, If God can raise the dead, then God can do anything. And one of the interesting things 
about Jonah is there's a lot of discussion and debate, both among skeptics and even among believers, about this whole fish swallowing thing and Jonah existing for three days in the belly of fish. In fact, many Christians have tried to find examples where that's happened, either whales or other large fish. And, of course, the critics try to debunk, debunk it and everything. But really, really, on either side, we miss the point. Because in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This was a special act of God to deliver Jonah. And God does that when it suits his purposes. The Lord appointed this fish. Sometimes the Lord may need to do something out of the ordinary for us. I'm not saying he always will, but sometimes he does. Also, Jonah was delivered in an unexpected way, right? This fish, and not necessarily a comfortable way. Think about spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. I don't care how big it was. Any of y'all ever been fishing? You ever clean fish? Ever gutted a fish? Yeah, I'm telling you, I have many times. It does not smell good, all right? I can't imagine, well, maybe I can, how unpleasant that was for John. Sometimes deliverance may not be what we hope for may not be what we expected. It may not be pleasant. But the Lord is faithful. Also, he wasn't delivered immediately all at once. Now, he was delivered from the sea, but he had to spend three days in the belly of the fish before he was vomited out on dry ground. Don't you love how Scripture is so graphic in its descriptions of things? He was not delivered up. He was vomited out on dry ground. Pretty, pretty descriptive, isn't it? The fish had had enough of Jonah. When it was time, he got rid of him. And Jonah was ready to obey. But I want to point out a couple of really significant things. Not that any of God's word is not significant. But his deliverance, Jonah's deliverance, gave him a new appreciation for God's mercy. For God's mercy in his life. And he expresses his gratitude here. He says, My life was fading away. I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Evidently, in the belly of the fish, Jonah vowed to obey. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah had a new appreciation for God's mercy, but... God wanted Jonah to have a new appreciation for God's mercy to others as well. You see, Jonah was being sent to the Ninevites. 
Jonah, we know, didn't want to go. In chapter 3 and 4, we're going to find out why he didn't want to go. Jonah needed to understand that God's mercy wasn't just for him. It wasn't just for those that Jonah considered to be good, God's good people, the Israelites. But God wanted to be merciful even to Jonah's enemies. That's something that's hard for us to learn. It really is. You know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it has been said, you shall love your enemies. I mean, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And then he goes on to say, you know, if you, if you're only, if you only greet your, your neighbors, you know, those who are like you, what, what different are you from unbelievers? God calls us to be merciful as he is merciful. That was a lesson that Jonah really had a lot of trouble learning. It's a lesson I often have trouble learning as well. To give mercy where maybe I think it's not deserved. But that's, that's what mercy is about. It's not deserved. Grace can never be deserved or earned. And even as God has been merciful and gracious to us, we are called to be merciful and gracious to others. If you're in Christ, you've already experienced deliverance from the absolute greatest danger each of us faces, eternal separation from God's love. The righteous judgment and wrath of God is upon us naturally. But Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. God has delivered us to the kingdom of his beloved son. One of the things it's good to do, just as part of life, is to keep some kind of record of God's mercies, of God's acts of grace, beginning with our salvation, but then the many, many mercies, blessings that the Lord pours out upon us so that when distress comes, we have confidence to know that we serve a God who delights to hear the cry of distress and delights to deliver his people. Maybe not always as we expect or hope, but he is faithful to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, you are faithful to give us a Savior, to provide, purchase salvation for us that we did not deserve. Oh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And Father, we thank you that you continue to hear our cries of distress. Lord, you bid us come to you. Father, I pray for any within the sound of my voice today who for whatever reason, 
either disobedience or just the fact that we live in a fallen world are going through difficulty, going through distress. Lord, I pray that you would help them to look to you, to cry out to you, and trust in you. May we all do this, and Lord, may we, as you have been merciful and are merciful to us, may we be merciful to one another, and especially to those that we think maybe don't deserve it. We pray this in Jesus' name.